The Bottomless Pit by Bill True Episode 3 Dad July 9th, 1977 Dear Journal So you're probably wondering where I've been the past few days. Well, pretty much my plan to sneak out of the house before my parents got up was foiled by my dad. I don't know how the heck he knew what I was up to, but he was already finishing his morning coffee by the time I made it to the kitchen. He didn't say anything to me about leaving all the lights on the night before. He just stood up, grabbed his work gloves, and said, let's go. Next thing you know, we're heading into the woods. I'm kind of nervous because for the longest time, we're heading right to the hole. Like, Dad knows all about it, and probably the flashlight, too. And not telling him about it has gotten me into real trouble. I mean, it's one thing when my dad goes off on you for doing something he thinks is wasteful or stupid. When he gets quiet is when you know you're really in for it. He's been quiet a lot lately, especially since he got hurt. And I don't just mean because him and Mom aren't around much. I mean even when he is here. But this was different than that, even. Now he's not saying a word. The only sound is the birds squawking and the crunching of our boots. It's so bad, I almost break down and tell him about the hole. Admit it all, including the flashlight, because I can't take it anymore. But then we make a turn, and I can breathe again. Well, for a little bit at least. We end up at a bunch of downed ash trees on the far edge of the woods. We heat our house in winter with a wood-burning stove, and the ash burns quick and hot, so it's really a good starter to get oak logs going. So we get there, and there's a bunch of dead trees knocked down from the storm. My dad cuts them up into log-sized chunks, and I start to stack them so we can come back later with the truck and get them. But my dad stops chainsawing and says, "Uh Uh-uh, I'm going to have to split the logs before I stack them by myself. I want to say something back. I mean, my dad knows I'm not any good at splitting logs, and we have the mechanical splitter back home. But I knew it wouldn't do any good. This was it. My punishment. Part of me didn't care. That was the part of me that was remembering what happened yesterday with the flashlight and the mark on my cheek. Even though the mark was long gone by now, I could still feel it there. And every time I'd hit a log with the axe, I'd say to myself, it was real. The part of me that did care was my arms, and my hands, and my whole body. It felt like the logs would never end. After about an hour, my dad was done. I thought he'd grab the other axe and help, but no deal. He parked himself on the tailgate and lit up a cigarette. I stopped too, thinking he'd be okay if I took a break. But he just told me, keep splitting. Before another hour went by, my arms and shoulders and back were screaming at me. It hurt so bad. My dad had gone back to the house and came back with the pickup so we could load the logs I'd split into the back. After loading all the logs I'd split, the truck wasn't even half full. My heart was sinking when I realized how little I'd split up to that point. Dad finally stopped me when the afternoon heat really kicked in. By that time, I was a sweaty mess, and so sore my arms were just numb, and there was still a ton of logs all over the ground. On the way back to the house, Dad said we'd go back tomorrow so I could finish, and that's all he said for the rest of the ride. I was so tired and in so much pain, I couldn't even think about calling Paul. I fell on my bed without even cleaning up or eating lunch or anything. When I woke back up, it was already dark. 
I thought about writing then, but my arms hurt just too bad to do it. Mom and Dad were home and watching TV. It was kind of different to have them there. Between Mom not feeling so hot lately, you know, mentally, and Dad getting hurt at work and being on disability now, they've been gone a lot more than usual. But like I said, when they're here, they're still pretty much not here either. Hearing them talking in the living room over Grizzly Adams kind of took me back to the time when Annie and Scott were still both at home. And Mom and Dad would stick around and at least watch TV with us after Dad got home from work. Any other time, I would have probably went in and sat with them, just to feel what it used to feel like before everyone got so tired and stopped feeling like hanging out and hanging around. But I was so tired myself, I really didn't care to, so I went to bed. Next morning, I was dead tired and could have just slept all day. But Dad made me get up. He said, grab breakfast and then be ready to head back out into the woods to finish up. I finally said something. I mean, my whole body felt like it was on fire after yesterday. I've never felt so much pain in my life. It felt like being tortured or something. My dad didn't want to hear any of it, though. We didn't say anything else as we headed out. We didn't need to. I knew what my dad was thinking, that basically I'm a weakling. He thinks I should be more of a fighter. Well, what he thinks a fighter should be. Remember the whole dreaming thing and not letting it get in the way of reality? So all this, I'm sure, is all some big lesson he's trying to drill into my head about how tough life really is and how stupid he thinks I am for not being the kind of guy who can make it in this world. And bumping along in the cab right next to him, I'm looking at my dad, and he looks like a different person. Like I'm seeing him, but for the first time. And as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking to myself, did you make your own way in this world, Dad? Because it seems like things didn't go so hot for you. Really? Lately? It just seems like his life has really been sad. And a lot of the time, he seems like it just kind of, I don't know, broke him a little. You know? Because he wasn't always like this. I'm old enough to remember that. And as we're going along, I just want to scream all that and tell him that maybe a better way to help your kid make his way in this world is to get to know him a little better, to find out what he might be good at and maybe help him do that, maybe even to do it for a job, or at least to be a little happier in life. We got back to the logs, and I started splitting as Dad sat on the tailgate again. By the time the first hour was done... I was so tired and in so much pain and the sun's beating down on me and my head feels like it's on fire. I started thinking my dad is right. I am a weakling. All I am is a stupid dreamer. And I was even feeling kind of sorry that Paul and I had ever found the hole in the first place. And pretty sure I'd made up the whole thing about getting sucked in and seeing the lady again and the flashlight and the mark on my face and everything. That it was just my imagination going crazy like it always does. By the time it was getting near lunchtime and with me still having, I don't know, maybe a third of the logs still to split, I think I just cracked. I started bawling like a baby. I'm really embarrassed about that now, and my dad told me to stop, but I couldn't. All I could do is bawl more and fall all over myself and tell him I'm sorry for leaving on the lights. Now he lets loose and lectures me about how that was what city people did, and he'd be damned if I ended up like one of those, he said a couple of bad words, but that if none of his other kids were going to figure out how to make their way doing an honest day's work, 
By God, at least I was going to learn. Now I have no control over what I'm saying anymore. I'm blubbering and saying it wasn't about acting like a city kid. That it was because I was afraid, because mom and him were gone. And then I did the one thing I never wanted to do. I told him about the hole. All about it. About almost falling in. About Paul and me heading back there. About losing the flashlight. Even about sitting out there and thinking somehow I got sucked in and then back out and found the flashlight again only to lose it all over again. I mean, by this time, I didn't even believe myself anymore. It sounded stupid as it came out of my mouth. And I could see the look on my dad's face. It meant everything he thought about me was true. He didn't lecture me anymore, and he didn't even give me a licking for stealing and losing the flashlight. All he said is, show me. So I show him. And now my dad's shaking his head and saying, this thing has to be closed up because it's a danger. I want to beg him, no, dad, no. But I'm just too tired and hurting and thinking what a loser I am. So I just stand there like a lump. Until my dad, all of a sudden he says, well, what's this? It's his flashlight, the one that got lost, twice, sitting right there at the edge of the hole, like I just forgot it and left it there like a dummy, which is exactly what my dad is thinking right now. And he's also saying how I knew better than to play around with stuff like this and get in the truck because we're going to get the tractor and take care of this right now before some knucklehead gets themselves hurt or even killed. But I'm not listening. Dad jams the flashlight back in my hands and says that I'm going to put this back as soon as we get home. And now I'm holding it again. And as I'm feeling it and holding it, I can't quite catch my breath. I don't even dare let on how freaked out I am to Dad. But here it is. And now I know. It's all true. I'm not wrong. I'm not making this up. I know it happened. I know it. I felt the thing slip out of my hand. I saw it drop. I swear to God, it was gone. And now, I'm not the dummy my dad thinks I am. And now we're back, and he's wrapped a huge logging chain around the trunk of the tree that fell over to make the hole. The other end of the chain is threaded into the winch in the front of the tractor, and I watch him as he's firing up the tractor. I'm on front and supposed to be keeping an eye in the winch. I know this is bad, but I just kind of hate him then. Because he won't ever listen. He doesn't even care who I am or what I think or stop and ask himself if really I might be telling the truth. As crazy as it might sound. And I just want him to believe me and trust me and think I'm okay for who I am and whatever I think or do no matter how different it is from the way he is or the way he grew up in the depression and stuff. I mean, now I'm thinking, is it any wonder why I'm dreaming all the time? So I don't end up like you? I remember hearing my dad talking to my mom about how life did a number on him. Okay, I'm sorry, but why pick on me because of it? Especially now, I've got the hole and the lady and the flashlight and maybe, just maybe, I can be a real life adventurer. This is my chance and I'm not going to just let it all go like he did. And I am not going to let him take it away from me. So, the tractor's going now, and so is the winch. Inch by inch, the tree's getting dragged toward us. 
It's never going to be upright again, but that's not Dad's plan. It's just to pull the bottom of the tree, the part with all the roots and stuff, back over the hole and cover it up with them. And it's working. Inch by inch, my chances are disappearing right in front of my eyes. I have no idea what to do. I feel so helpless that I'm crying again, but making certain that Dad can't see that. The tree's now almost three quarters covering the hole when I see something. At this point, you need to know that as the tree's getting dragged, the roots are getting bent back as they scrape against other trees. They get bent back so much that when the trees finally let go of them, the roots snap and come zinging our way. Both Dad and I had to duck really quick a couple of times or get hit. The thing I see, though, is a really big and tough-looking branch laying on the ground by my feet. And I come up with a plan I think might work, but it could also get me into more trouble than I've ever been in my whole life. I think about it for a little bit, really get worked up about it, but in the end I say to myself, it's worth it, no matter what happens. So this is what I do. I grab the branch and set it next to the winch. Then I wait until the next time one of the roots breaks off and comes whipping our way. It's less than a minute before my time comes. There's this humongous crack, and one of the roots is coming right at me. I only have a second to duck out of the way, but not too far, because I want to be able to grab my branch. What the root does is perfect. Like we were in a movie, and I said to it, Now you're going to break off and hit the front of the tractor really hard. Because that's what it does, with a bong that almost shatters my eardrums. But I don't worry about that. As the root shatters, I grab my stick and jam it as hard as I can into the chain, coiling back into the winch. Sure enough, the winch starts gobbling the branch up. A few seconds later, it's getting all gummed up in the winch motor, which now is whirring and whining and sounds like a dying animal. And in the next second, the chain snaps. The end of the tree side goes shooting away like a bullet, and the end on my side comes shooting toward me like another bullet. I don't have time to move or do anything except think I'm going to die. Next thing I know, there's this crack sound that makes the boom sound like a whisper. It's so loud, all I can hear out of my left ear is ringing. It takes another second to realize I'm not only still alive, I'm not even hurt. And another one to realize there's steam and hot water flying out of the radiator on the tractor, like three inches from where my head was. My dad quick shuts everything down and comes to look at the damage to the tractor. He's really mad because he says it might be totaled. I look at it too, all serious and sad like we're at a funeral. But all I can think to myself is... Somehow, I got away with it. We walk back home. As we leave, I look back at my hole. The roots are covering most of it, but there's still enough room for someone to get in there. Good. We got back to the house, and my dad says to my mom, let's go. My mom's laying on the couch, so she says she's not even ready to go anywhere, and my dad doesn't care. They change clothes, and that's about it. And then they're gone, and I'm alone again. First thing I do is fill the big clawfoot tub in the bathroom and take the longest bath ever in history. When I finally climbed out, I was shriveled up like a prune. Now it's getting past dinner time. I think about heading over to Paul's, but it's really too late now. Besides, even though my arms and muscles felt a little better after the bath, I was still in pretty bad shape. 
and my brain was just spinning on top of everything else. So I called Paul. He was pretty sore and all. Where the heck did you disappear to? I told him to can it. He argued back a little, but I said, hey, you've got to get Andrew to Henderson's tomorrow. What about the hole? I thought you wanted him to look at it. This is about the hole, and coming out here, at least for right now, isn't going to work. But we need to talk, and we need to do it tomorrow. I'm 100% sure my dad's going into town. I can't get you a ride, but you need to be there, and you need to make sure Andrew's there. Another blah, blah, blah from Paul, and I cut him off again. Just do it. Promise me. It took a bit, but I finally got the promise. And not a moment too soon, because I could see my dad's truck turn into the driveway just as I was hanging up the phone. I was never more glad for that long driveway. I hurried up and was already in bed and pretending I was sleeping when they came in to see what I was doing. I was going to write after all that, but I was just still too sore and too frazzled, and my brain was going a thousand miles a minute, thinking about the hole, thinking about how could I maybe get down there and find out what's really going on. Just like I thought, my dad went into town to get a new radiator for the tractor, and somehow I talked him into letting me come with. Of course, I had to pretend I wanted to go because he was going to the farmer's co-op to talk about how he was going to fix the tractor, but after a bit, I was able to escape because he found out the co-op couldn't get the part in for an international harvester as old as our tractor for at least a couple of weeks. The tractor was stuck until the part came in, which made dad none too happy. So he was going to have a burger and a beer at the VFW. He asked me if I wanted to go with him, but was a little relieved I told him no. I'd just bump around town for a while and meet up with him at Henderson's later. Now, the three of us are sitting around the soda fountain at Henderson's. Andrew is working on his usual, a hot fudge malted milkshake. I'm sipping my usual, a strawberry crush. Paul, as usual, wasn't going to get anything because he didn't have any money. So I bought him a crush, which is his favorite too. We were talking about stuff, small talk like Dungeons and Dragons, Star Wars, TV shows, anything it seemed to avoid having to talk about the whole. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't care if I looked like a wussy. We were dancing around the subject too much, so I finally just said it. So what about the whole? Well... Andrew said. It's definitely not groundwater. The average water table for this area is about 15 feet, so you would have heard some kind of splash almost immediately. I had no idea what he was talking about, but I kept nodding and acting like I did, well, because, you know. It has got to be an underground cavern of some type. It's not a cave, I snapped back at him, probably a little too sarcastic. You think we didn't already think of that? We would have been able to see the bottom with the flashlight. Not necessarily, he said back. And I could tell that he was miffed because I'd gotten hot on him. He kind of got that snooty tone in his voice and did that thing where he points his nose up in the air so you're looking up his nostrils a bit when he's talking. Mammoth Cave in Kentucky is over 365 feet deep at its deepest point. That's over a football field. The beam from any flashlight would be so dim it would be easy to miss it, especially if it landed on some dark-colored or non-reflective surface. I was going to say something smart, but I just shook my head. Fine, I finally said. But what about when it fell in? And what about the rock? What about the no sound? You weren't there. We sat there with our ears over the hole for 15 minutes. 
There are plenty of reasonable explanations for that phenomenon. Name one. He sat there not saying anything. He wasn't going to budge an inch. That was perfectly okay by me, because I was starting to feel pretty darn good that I got him on the run for once. Face it, Andrew, you don't know what it is. He looked right at me and half-closed his eyes, which is exactly what he does when he's going to talk to you like you're some peasant. I don't think it's appropriate for me to speculate without more information. Then you need to see it. He talked right over me. I'll have to do more research on hydrogeology and subterranean phenomena. He was being a real pill, but I knew what the hole was. Well, really, I should say I know what it wasn't. It wasn't something like all the boring and normal things Andrew thought it was. It was something completely different. Something like in science fiction or Johnny Quest or something like that, but real at the same time. And the lady... I kept thinking back to when she gave me back the flashlight, how she seemed in trouble, how it looked like she needed help. That wasn't just an adventure staring at us right in the face. It was something much, much bigger, something awesome, and no way was I going to let Andrew's crummy attitude ruin it for me. As I sat there, I wondered why I thought I should bring Andrew along anyway, except it really kind of kills me to say it, but you already know Andrew's a brain. He's way smarter than Paul and me put together. I'd need him with me to figure out things I just couldn't. I came close to telling Andrew, forget about it, but I couldn't. I mean, okay, I know at this point you probably think I don't like Andrew very much, but really, I do. Besides, if there's going to be an expedition, there needs to be a team, and Andrew's part of my team. If I'm going to be a leader, I need someone to lead, right? So all I say to Andrew is, I don't think more research is going to help. Why? asks Andrew, blinking. Because I don't think this type of thing is written about in any books. Not in any research books anyway. Now, I take something out of my backpack and put it on the counter. The flashlight. Man, you should have seen Paul's eyes. I thought they were going to pop out of his face. Then I go on to tell them the whole story from right before the 4th until yesterday. Paul wanted to get into my face a little bit about me telling my dad, so I got pretty mad at him. How many times do you ever talk back to your mom and dad, Paul? Last time I checked, it's not exactly leave it to beaver around the storm household either. Paul got really quiet then, but at least I could finish walking them through the rest of the story. Then I wait. First thing Andrew says is, that's ridiculous. Listen, I said, I know you've been up all night looking in your books. You were probably at the library as soon as it opened this morning trying to figure out what this thing is. Am I right? Andrew got stone-faced. Of course you were, Andrew, and you're still just as clueless as we are. Why not face it? Some things can't be explained. But it doesn't make sense, Andrew said to me. This is something unique, one of a kind. You can't explain it through science or logical thinking. You can't. And it's cool. So cool. What are you afraid of, Andrew? After a few tense moments, Andrew just sighed. Just admit it. I could be right. Finally, Paul spoke up, actually coming to my rescue for a change. He's right. Andrew looked at him and guffawed. What? You too? Then he gestured toward me in some crummy, accusatory fashion, then went on, You think... Jack's right. The flashlight went in. 
I saw it. But here it is. I thought you at least would have your head screwed on right. This shot stoked the fire of my anger to a white hot. I wanted to deck Andrew right then and there, but I held back. Instead, I asked through gritted teeth, what's that supposed to mean? Andrew saw how mad I was and tried to backpedal. I, he started and then stopped. After another bit, he talked again, this time almost a whisper. What do you want me to do? I looked at Andrew. Then I looked back to Paul. I knew it had to be said, so I might as well just come out and really say it. I opened my mouth. Jump in. I snapped my mouth shut, not because I was surprised that I had actually said it, but because I hadn't said it at all. Neither had Paul. It took us a second to realize the sound had come from behind us. So we turned and faced the person who had dared utter the words I was almost too chicken to say myself. And there she was, standing behind the magazine rack and facing us. None other than Raylene Chapman. You have been listening to the Bottomless Pit Podcast, created by Bill True. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and also look for us on Facebook and Twitter. See you next time inside the Bottomless Pit.